Jesus said to them, If any want to become my disciples, let them deny themselves and take up their cross and follow me. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. The season of Lent in which we now find ourselves lasts for 40 days. 40 days because that's how long Jesus spent in the desert wilderness after his baptism, grappling with the devil, being tested, and wrestling with the full meaning of that voice that broke from heaven above the river Jordan and said, You are my son, the beloved, in you I am well pleased. Forty days because that's how long it took Jesus to fast and pray and ponder. Forty days because that's how long it took him to ready himself to walk out of the wilderness and into the world, no longer just this carpenter from Nazareth, but the Messiah, the Anointed One, the Son of God. If 40 days was good enough for Jesus, then it ought to be good enough for us too, right? Only we're not Jesus. So while he only had to enter the desert once, we've got to keep going back year after year after year. It's been suggested that it was in the wilderness where Jesus discovered what it meant to be Jesus. And it's in the wilderness of Lent where we discover what it means to be Christians, his followers, his disciples. Today's reading from Mark's Gospel gives us a pretty good definition, I think, of what it means to be a Christian although it's not an easy one. Here we are in Caesarea Philippi, just after Jesus asked his followers a pretty important question. Who do you say that I am? Who do other people say that I am? After a few wrong answers, John the Baptist, Elijah, a prophet, it's Peter who manages to hit the nail on the head you are the Messiah, he says. Bingo. Right answer. This is a really big thing for the disciples to figure out. A realization that promises so much. The end of oppression. A new reign of justice. Long-awaited freedom. The Messiah is who they've been waiting for, but maybe never really thought they'd get to meet. And here he is, standing right before them. Then, to Peter's great disappointment, Jesus tells his followers that the Messiah he is might not be the Messiah that they expected at all. Not only will he, Jesus, be rejected and die and suffer all before he's resurrected, his disciples will have to suffer too. If any want to become my followers, Jesus says, let them take up their cross and follow me. For those who want to save their life will lose it, and those who lose their life for my sake and for the sake of the gospel will find it. 
I imagine Peter being thrust into a kind of wilderness of his own just upon hearing those words. Here, Peter learns that the Messiah he has is not necessarily the Messiah he wants. And his expectations are all turned upside down before his very eyes. The words that Peter heard were no harder for him to receive than they often are for us. How many times have we, too, discovered that the Jesus that we want is not exactly the Jesus that we get? But it's in following him where we find the Jesus that we need. For many years, I've been inspired by the life and ministry of a pastor named Gordon Cosby. He was an influential pastor, but in many ways, he's still really unknown within the Christian tradition. He passed away in 2013. I've been thinking a lot about Cosby, especially during the time of COVID-19, when so much of what we have taken for granted about the church has been challenged and even upended. For many people, it's been hard to practice our faith this year. And it's also been hard to sort out just why. Now, Gordon Cosby graduated from a Baptist seminary just as World War II was starting. Like many young seminarians then and now, he imagined the path of ministry to look a certain way. He thought he would move his way up some kind of ladder as he pastored larger and larger congregations, making a career for himself within the institution of the church. But then the war started, and Cosby enlisted as a chaplain, assuming that he would serve his country, and then he would begin his ministry when he came home. Cosby was there at the Allied invasion of Normandy, ministering to the sick and the dying. During his time as a chaplain, this young pastor and lifelong Christian was struck by one thing in particular. He found that the young soldiers he ministered to, who had been raised and formed in the church from the time that they were babies, were no more equipped to confront the realities of death than those soldiers around them who espoused no faith at all. Their belief in Jesus, their experience of being a Christian, did not help them as they faced the possibility of dying. At that time, Cosby vowed that if he survived the war, he would return home and establish a different kind of church, a church that was committed to deep Christian formation. Now, I don't want to liken COVID-19 to a war. I just don't think that that's a helpful metaphor at all. Now, it is true, though, that more Americans have died during this pandemic than died in World War I, World War II, and the Vietnam War combined. We have confronted death this year in a way that most of us never have before. And in many ways, that confrontation has remained largely both collective and unconscious. 
And I find myself wondering if the church that we were formed in has really prepared us for this moment. I wonder if there are aspects of Cosby's realization at Normandy and the ministry that he eventually built that might help us move through this time and into the future. When Cosby returned to the States, he fulfilled his promise and started a church. Only it was a very, very different kind of church. Based in a poor neighborhood in Washington, D.C., Church of the Savior was committed right to the start to forming deep Christian faith, sacrificial faith, the kind of faith that Jesus describes in today's Gospel reading. The church was never intended to be large. In fact, Cosby worked hard to keep it small as his reputation grew and grew in the culture around him. They were one of the first churches in America to racially integrate, to include women in leadership. At its core, Church of the Savior was a network of tiny, committed communities that focused on concrete social change. Members devoted their whole lives to the ministries that the church started, living alongside the poor and suffering, sacrificing material success for the sake of the gospel. Slowly, the church transformed the neighborhood, quietly and without fanfare. They started affordable housing initiatives, coffee shops and bookstores, reading and literacy programs, tutoring centers and arts collectives, all for the benefit of those living on the margins in Washington, D.C. Most of us are probably not going to dedicate our lives to social justice ministries in the ways that Cosby's church members did. It was a small church for a reason. That type of all-in dedication just isn't for everybody. But I believe that Cosby's wisdom was in providing opportunities for people to live exactly as Jesus instructed in today's Gospel passage, to lose their lives and to not fear it. Gordon Cosby did his best to live his life as a follower of Jesus, demonstrating to those around him that deep Christian faith is wedded to real sacrifice. That while death is real, it is not the final word. Cosby died at the age of 95 in the hospice house that his church founded for homeless men. He dictated his final sermon from his deathbed, and it may as well have been a sermon about today's gospel, a text that is so disturbing that we often ignore it or explain it away. So let me end with his words and not with mine. As I am dying, I am seeing a new way. I am seeing that weakness is a gift. It's appalling to me that the most recognized warning in history, issued by an international leader, 
has for the most part gone unheeded. What is this warning? It's Jesus' clear and frightening statement that the last shall be first and the first shall be last. Dying helps us see weakness, and weakness is where God's strength is made perfect. It is not until we are utterly bereft of confidence in ourselves that we believe in weakness. Until then, we resist weakness. The warning of Jesus is being ignored. It's a warning against what is now the dominant consciousness, our culture's assumption about what comprises a good life, a successful life, are exactly the opposite of that which Jesus calls us to. If one is successful in the world sense, then the very things we boast about are signs of failure. How do we move toward becoming part of a people whom Jesus felt would be a serious part of the way the world would function in the future? Are we closer now to that which will last forever? Are we being serious about this warning and do we care whether the one who gave it is serious about it? Is our real feeling that this is not a serious warning at all? Cosby ends this way. The world must see a new way. We must trust only what we know through our connection with the ultimate, the one who alone knows how the universe works, how it will turn out, what God is bringing it toward, and why it is taking so long. Amen. <laughs>